Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. This is the smartest show in the history of the solar system. You've found it. You've stumbled upon us. Well done. My name's Dan. This is where we look at the most amazing things that are lurking around the universe. And this week, we're trying to figure out the whole history of this planet we're on right now. You see, there's an incredible new book out, and it manages to squeeze all of the billions of years that this world has been around into one single day. To help you understand kind of what happened when, we'll find out more in a bit with the author Tom Jackson. One of my favourite stories is the formation of the moon, uh, which happens only uh, about 13 minutes past um, now, this is still a theory. No one quite knows where the moon comes from. It's a very, our moon is very uh, interesting. There's no other planet in the solar system with a moon that's this big and made of the same sort of stuff compared to... Also, we're into the end of the summer now, and we've got Techno Mum back for one last look at how technology has helped a summer of sports... It's amazing that the design of bikes seems to change every year. And that's all thanks to... Yeah, I know, engineers. But what do engineers actually do? Is there like a bunch of crazy inventors somewhere? Do you think it's something you might like to do as a job? Are you saying that I'm crazy? No, silly. It's a fascinating area in which... And I've got your questions as always. This week they're on viruses and diamond rain. Can it be true? Are you going to be rich? We'll find out in a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. We kick things off with this week's Science in the News. NASA are having a terrible time trying to get their new rocket launched to the moon. The Artemis 1 moon rocket was meant to launch last week, if you remember, we talked about it on the show, then again last Saturday, but it's been stopped by a fuel leak. Experts are now figuring out what went wrong and how to fix it, and it could set the project back several weeks. Now, I think this is good and bad. It's good because you don't want to take risks with space travel. If something goes wrong with that amount of fuel that they need, I mean, it could go very wrong with a massive explosion. Uh, But also, we do want to get back to the moon, so it's hard to wait any longer. I'm very excited for the scientists to figure out what's up. Also, official data says England has had its joint hottest summer on record. Across the last three months, the average temperature was 17.1 degrees. Now, four of the five hottest summers ever have happened in the last 20 years, which is bad. It shows climate change in action. The world is getting hotter and warmer, which can have devastating effects. And if it doesn't slow down this planet, it's only going to get harder uh, for many creatures uh, to, to, to still live here. And finally, a sweet story to end. A runaway manatee has been rescued in Venezuela. Tico the manatee swam away two months ago. It's been tracked through the Caribbean and down to South America, where it was finally found and saved last week. This is brilliant. Experts are using top science tracking data to save one lonely lost creature. And I really like that. We're into a brand new month now. This is September. Uh, So summer for us in the Northern Hemisphere is drawing to a close. For the last few weeks, we've been learning about technology and how that helps sports that we play in the summer. And we've got one last episode of this with Techno Mum, who can tell us a bit more. Techno Mum's Sport Technology. 
Sam and his family are enjoying these summer sports, and it's got Sam thinking about the game-changing people behind all sport technology. I thought you were playing tennis in the garden. Rain stopped play, didn't it? I thought I might watch the cycling on TV. It's amazing that the design of bikes seems to change every year. And that's all thanks to... Yeah, I know, engineers. But what do engineers actually do? Is there like a bunch of crazy inventors somewhere? Do you think it's something you might like to do as a job? Are you saying that I'm crazy? No, silly. It's a fascinating area in which to work. Well, I think I'd be better at designing technology than winning a world record. You never know. There's so many different aspects to sports engineering and technology. Generally, engineers will focus on the basics. What athletes are wearing, what equipment they're using, the space they're doing it in and ways to measure what they're actually doing. The main aim is to get better results while keeping athletes safe. So if someone was mad keen on computers, they could develop apps to monitor athletes or footballers. Indeed, anyone who likes to play sports. They could find new ways to collect data from wearable devices and write programs to analyse the data and provide even more useful information to the players, as well as their coaches and managers. Analysing data is a huge part of sports technology, whether it's someone's performance or how well a piece of equipment works. There's plenty of work for those people who love crunching numbers. Maybe not for me. I think I'm more creative. Well, if you prefer to invent or make things, what about improving the design of equipment like cycle helmets, golf clubs, shuttlecocks? You could identify problems with current designs, doing research on what would help overcome those, and then coming up with prototypes to test. Testing's almost an industry in itself, using wind tunnels, computer modelling, as well as real players to find out how things behave in fast-moving environments. And then there's clothing. Like that swimsuit that was so good at improving performance, it actually got banned. That's right. Fabric and material technology is right at the front of sports innovation. And coming up with new materials involves getting right down to the microscope using optic fibre, carbon fibre, and even nanotechnology. I think I prefer to think big. Maybe I could design the venues. There's such a variety to choose from. Football stadiums, tennis courts, velodromes, athletic tracks. Hey, how about using LEDs that changes the colour of the track the faster the athletes run? That's a great idea. It might help the athletes see who's accelerating and be fun for the spectators. We need to remember that spectators are an important part of sport, and so is fun. And if you like drones and robotics, there's fun to be had in developing new camera technology, whether to help spectators see or umpires to judge. Possibilities are out of this world, quite literally. Engineers are already studying how space travel affects our bodies. Weightlessness can cause muscle weakness, but with no gravity, it's not very easy to run, lift weights or stretch out muscles without specialised equipment. Yeah, imagine trying to do a press-up, you just keep going up. Exactly! Fitness machines designed for astronauts are already being used on Earth by athletes to improve their performance and to help recover after injury. And with missions likely to get longer and longer, Engineers will have to develop new ways for people to run, cycle, and maybe even swim in space. Just think, one day there could be space Olympics. Anything's possible. In fact, I think it's possible that the rain's finally stopped. Fancy a round of tennis? Game on. Techno Mum's Sport Technology is created with support from the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash technomum. It's question time on the show then. Remember, if you've got a question, if you want to find out what the answer is, if you've got something sciencey niggling around your brain, leave it for me uh, as a voice note. Record it on your computer, on your phone, whatever it is, then send it to the free Fun Kids app. That would be amazing because you can be the star of the show. The first question this week is from Alice. How does your body defeat viruses? 
Thank you for this, Alice. Uh, your body fights off viruses in, in a few ways. One is by using special white blood cells, which are called T-cells. And they act a bit like police cars for your body. They're constantly scanning around, making sure the other cells that you have are what they say they are. And they're not something mean and malicious that are trying to sneak in to do you harm. Now, if they spot a virus, they get to work by breaking apart the cells using enzymes to kill it off. Also, you, you'll remember this in the last couple of years. You can get vaccines, can't you? Now, this is if there is a new virus that your body might not know yet. What happens? You get a tiny amount of the new disease or something just like it put into your body. So those white blood cells, the T cells, become aware of what this new virus is. So in the future, they can be ready to get to action with the right protein and enzymes to take care of it. If it should ever affect you, Alice, thank you for the question. Uh, let's get someone else that sent it in to the Free Fun Kids app. Hello, my name is Yoa, and I would like to know if it actually rains diamonds on Uranus and Neptune. Thanks for taking the time to send that in to me. Uh, scientists think that on Neptune, it does rain diamonds. Bits of rock... And in the planet's thick, stormy atmosphere, they get squashed into the form of a diamond. On Venus, though, uh, it rains something else, something that burns. You see, Venus is very hot. It's about 480 degrees C, which is about like 10 times a really, really hot day here on planet Earth. Uh, now, Venus is full of sulfuric acid clouds, too. So instead of diamonds or water, on Venus it rains acid acid that could scorch and burn straight through you johan thank you for the question if there is something you want answered on the show next week if you want to be the star of the podcast leave it uh, as a voice note send it over to me on the free fun kids app it's the fun kids science weekly now this week we are talking about the history of our planet as seen in just one day in 24 hours. It's in a brand new book called Earth Clock. It's by Tom Jackson, who joins us. Tom, thank you for being there. Hi, thanks for having me on. I've heard quite often uh, the comparison of what the Earth would be like if it was a day, if our whole history was 24 hours. What gave you the idea to write it down and get these fabulous illustrations in a stunning book? Uh, I suppose uh, the reason for doing it in 24 hours is trying to bring this uh, this ancient planet, 4.57 billion years old, uh, into something that we can all understand. Uh, no one can really imagine what it would be like to live for a thousand years, a million years, let alone four and a half billion years. So if we can put it, and everyone's lived a day, so if we put it into a day and break down um, the, the history of the planet into minutes and hours and sometimes seconds, uh, people will have a better idea of what, what's been going on all this time. Now, you've been looking through, as you say, almost five billion years worth of history. H how on earth can you be kind of accurate enough with things that happened all that time ago to get it hour by hour and minute by minute? In 24 hours, I forget now how many minutes there are, but there are a few thousand. Uh, when it came to the various chapters in the book, uh, there was a lot of discussion with some some of the experts exactly how, or when this when these events were taking place, and then it's a simple mathematical calculation. And of course, we did it to uh, the minute mostly, and a few occasions we were doing it to the second. Uh, and we can't be enormously exact, um, but we can take it down to those sorts of uh, 
those sorts of times. So let's, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go through the whole day because that is the point of the book, but let's start at midnight then. Let's start at zero hundred hours of the Earth's life. Um, in terms of a day, how long are we hanging around before anything really of note happens to planet Earth? Well, it's pretty interesting from the word go. Um, one of my favourite stories is the formation of the moon, uh, which happens only uh, about 13 minutes past midnight. Um, now, this is still a theory. No one quite knows where the moon comes from. It's very, our moon is very uh, interesting. There's no other planet in the solar system with a moon that's this big and made of the same sort of stuff compared to uh, our planet. There are, there are some moons which are slightly larger. Um, but they're around the giant planets like Jupiter and Saturn. There's no other planet which has got effectively this giant moon sitting next to it. And so we look at the story of, of how that might have been formed. Um, as I said, no one really knows for sure, but we, there's, a, there's a pretty good idea out there. Basically, I'll, I'll give away uh, the story. We got hit by another planet at about a quarter past midnight, a planet about the size of Mars is today. It's called the Big Splash because this planet hit so hard that it melted pretty much the surface of our planet and it melted itself. And that uh, second planet sort of merged with us. We splashed out a load of molten rock into space. Uh, and some of that eventually joined up and made the moon. So those two planets, what was the Earth and this almost Mars-shaped one, yeah. we're kind of, we're, we're almost a hybrid now. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's effectively it. There are some characteristics about Earth which suggest that this happened, that there are, uh, that, that, that we were added to, or some, of, some of our material was knocked off into space and um, we, were, we were hit by another planet, a smaller planet now, going back to the whole day, the clock 24 hours, um, how long are we kind of hanging around before very early stages of life start to form? 3.5 billion years ago, so about a billion years of, of the planet being a lifeless ball of, of rock and water and lightning and lava, and then it all begins to settle down a bit. Uh, we get the first signs of life. Some say it goes back as uh, 3.8 billion years would be, I mean, that would be as far back as we go. So just under a billion years from from the, uh, the formation. And these would be very, very, very simple things. But that was that was where the, these tiny sort of bacteria-like cells would have. So let's talk about us then. We are humans. If the whole history of planet Earth was boiled down to a single day. How long have us humans been roaming around for? It's 39 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Not even that, really. That was even less than that. The modern humans, the Homo sapiens, the, the species that we belong to, would have been uh, about a second. Uh, but there have been human-like species around, as I said, for a few seconds before, before that. <laughs> now... Tom, lastly, looking at the entire history of planet Earth as you have, what has it made you think about the future? Are you quite positive about 
humans going on from their you know one second of life so far and kind of eking out towards a couple of minutes maybe uh yes i am um we've got a lot of problems uh and there are big changes happening um but if this book shows us that change is just normal for planet earth everything's changing all of the time and as i said we've only been around for a second um and there are plenty of things that we can do to uh, make the planet better and make our life on the planet uh, more comfortable and um, and more fun. Brilliant. The book is Earth Clock. It is the history of our planet in 24 hours, one single day. Tom Jackson, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. It's time for this week's Dangerous Dan, where we look at some of the most mean and cruel things in the universe. Uh, now, this week, we're learning about a creature that I, I genuinely have never heard of before. And I'm so excited to discover them with you. This week, we're headed to South America to have a look at the white-lipped peccary. Now, a peccary looks very much like a pig, but with dark hair all over. You find these in Central and South America, and they're omnivores. They tend to eat anything and everything. They munch on fruits and roots and grasses and small creatures. Now, they're pretty big. They're a metre and a half long. They are thick and big like a pig. And they're normally quite chilled. Not really dangerous at all. Until they get threatened. If someone goes too close to them, or particularly their young, they can get extremely aggressive. It raises its sharp tusks up. They swing and it charges. They're the most aggressive peccary species, the white-lipped ones. They take no prisoners. They can go on a rampage to defend themselves. Now, even though they normally only eat small critters, they've been known to take out massive big cats like jaguars to keep them and their families safe. And being relentless with tusks, going straight in for the kill, that puts the white-lipped peccary on our dangerous Dan list. It's time to catch up with Professor Hallux now. Uh, we've been with him for the last few months. He's an absolute genius, is Hallux. He knows everything about your body. Uh, what's happening with your arms, your legs, your lungs, your hearts. You might remember for the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking inside your mouth at what makes your teeth and your gums healthy. Now, this week, this new series is all about what makes all of your body healthy. It's all about water. Water is very important, and Professor Hallux's Hydration Help Desk can tell us why. Hallux's Hydration Help Desk. Call accepted. Hello, Professor. I know we need water to survive, but why? What do our bodies want with all this water? That's a great question. Water is absolutely vital to our survival. You can go without food for a number of weeks, but only a few days without a drink. And that's because we humans are made of so much of the stuff, 60 to 70% of our weight is water. It's in every cell of the body. Isn't that right, Nanobot? It certainly is, Professor. Blood is over 90% water. The brain, heart and muscles are 75% water. Skin is 65% water. And even bones, which we think are very dry, well, they're 30% water. And the younger you are, the higher those percentages are. Let's see some of the work water does. Water in the body's cells help to carry nutrients around and to also remove waste products. And because the waste ends up, well, you know where, we constantly need to replace the water in our bodies. Did you know we lose water when we breathe out? 
The misty water vapour you see in the air on chilly days is tiny drops of the stuff. Another important job water does in our bodies is to help keep us at a comfortable and healthy temperature. If our bodies get too hot, our brains instruct our bodies to start to sweat. These water droplets on our skin take the heat away as they evaporate, which helps us to cool down. That's why you might get thirsty when it's particularly hot. You're losing all that water in your body through your skin. If it's super hot and you're using lots of energy, you could lose as much as a litre every hour. That's why it's important to drink regularly. Right. Got any other facts for us, Nanabot? Of course. I'm a positive well of watery wonderment. Some species of turtles and toads have special bladders which can hold water for many months, even years. This way, if the animal becomes short of water supplies, it can absorb water back from these special pockets. Amazing, but we're not turtles or toads and we can't store water for that long. Because of the way our bodies work, we need to drink water frequently for us to stay in good health. And here are two terms we're going to be using a lot on the help desk. Well hydrated and dehydrated. When we have enough to drink, we are said to be well hydrated. And when we don't have enough, we're dehydrated. Hydration just means the amount of water in something. You might have heard grown-ups using those words. We'll find out more about them next time. Thanks for calling. Alex's Hydration Help Desk with support from the Children's Health Fund. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash Alex. And that is it for this week's episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got a question that you want answered on the show, uh, leave it as a voice note for me, please. Record it on your phone. You can borrow your mum or dad's phone, whatever it is, on your computer. Send it to funkidslive.com or on the free Fun Kids app. You've heard from Techno Mum and Professor Hallux this week. Uh, we've got loads more incredible podcasts just like that that you can listen to about all sorts of subjects on Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. They're on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen to us all over the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com. 